a random encounter at a broadcasting facility, a shared interest and love of all things Marvel, Excelsior, a misinterpreted program title, and behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick, podcaster and comic book enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on Memdar social medias. Okay, go ahead. Go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at The Marvelists. Find us on there. Find us individually on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick. I'm on TikTok, God knows why, at Peter Melnick, but better. You can also find us individually also for one person in this program on Instagram, and that is me, Eddie9193. Well, Let's not forget the at Eddie9193, and also on Facebook. But what is what was the uh, social media platform? IG, the IG, Instagram. There we go. Thank you. You didn't say it. I go, there's one social media platform, me. It's like, oh, no. Did you know I have a platform now? <sighs> you can also find Shame us. Shame on you. You can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, whatever you can do, listen to us. Again, all of those available on wherever you can wrangle an RSS feed. But again, iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, and share. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash and support the show by doing so by signing up for one of three tiers for as little as $3 a month to as much as... Always get stuck on that word. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of money. Just, you know, all those syllables come out, you know, the dollar signs and whatnot. It's a lot. But when you sign up, you get early access to episodes, including this here fine episode. You can be able to also get our undying love and gratitude and affection. And, you know, when conventions are a thing again, Eddie will go over, give you, you know, nice Play that Olivia Newton-John song. Let's get physical. (laughs) Gives you a shoulder massage, and he's just like, "This, this is for every little bit of support. And then he removes the knots out of your back, and you're just like... Oh, this feels really good. And then when you're least expecting it, Eddie gives you a peck on the cheek. And he's just like, wow, Eddie. How dare you? We didn't even have dinner yet. (laughs) But you also get, like I said, for the $5 and up tier, access to our program, The Fantastic Voyage, where we talk about every issue of Stan and Jack's iconic, legendary series of The Fantastic Four that went for 102 issues and we'll also be talking about annuals. We'll be talking about crossovers. What have you. What, what if. What ifs. Whatever applies to that run of Stan and Jack's legendary run, we will be talking about it. And we have uh, in the archive and coming upcoming episodes, our June episode this month is going to be with Tom Scholey of Fantastic Four Grand Design. So we're going to be talking about Fantastic Four number 11 Just this past week, on Friday, it dropped our episode, Fantastic Four, number 10, where we're talking with Eli Schwab of Cosmic Line Productions. Or if you saw the thing, the video on YouTube, he's one of the men responsible for Image Grand Design Mm -hmm. and slash Image Grand Disaster. And a little bit of a, uh, maybe, I don't know if I have the ability to say this, I'm probably not going to say it, but there might be a follow-up project, and somebody in this episode might be involved with it. 
spoilers, it's me. Oh. But we're also going to be, like I said, talking to uh, this week somebody. We're going to be recording an episode of Fantastic Four number 12. Technically, it's it, I thought it was our anniversary episode. It is not. Oh. But whatever. But we're going to be talking that. And we're also in talks for a bonus episode for that month talking Amazing Spider-Man number one mm-hmm. because the Fantastic Four show up. And we got somebody that we're going to be bringing back for that one. So stay tuned, true, true believers. believers. That'll be our July episode, which I don't know why we're talking about it so early. But, well, you know. Yeah. But also you can support the show on belowthecollar.com slash The Marvelous. And buy a T-shirt because, God willing, if you made it this far, you are dad joke immune. And you can show it with your dad joke immune T-shirt. So... For the Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. We know that. No. <laughs> Eddie, joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string for this episode, we are joined with Trey Stone, buddy of the show. He he was on, I believe, Fantastic Voyage number nine. Nine? Not, is there a niner in there? Number nine. Niner? Uh, number, number nine. nine. Number nine. So, is that a yes? Yeah. Yes. Yes. All again. right. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been on the main feed since 2018, which was... The Black, Black Panther, Panther episode, and by the way, I'm holding my Wakanda Forever face mask that I got at the Disney store, and it's pretty spiffy looking. That is pretty cool. Very breathable, and as a matter of fact, if I put the mask on right now, hold on. You, Let's do a quick little test. We have to do this? Can you hear me? How do I sound? I have a mask really? on my face, guys. This is going to be dated in well, non-COVID it's not times. A, you're not Imperial or Regal or anything like that, but, you know. Well, I can be William Regal if I want. Or even <laughs> Steven Regal. Well, the cinema chain, I don't know. <laughs> I've been watching a, a lot. man's man, man. Exactly. What's that? He's a man. (laughs) Reference okay. Don't worry about it. All right. That's fine. Now, also, so. Why are we here today? Well, Eddie, Trey. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Last episode on our main feed, we ended up talking about Marvel News. We talked about Eternals. And by the way, one little thing we're going to quickly touch on because we did not talk about it. Something had happened in regards to a certain Mooney boy that we missed literally by a day. So the news dropped and we had not recorded anything. Oscar Isaac is officially confirmed as Moon Knight. Oh, There was much rejoicing. But to the subject matter at hand of this episode, the topic of, at hand, that episode where we were talking about the news involving Eternals, Black Widow, and whatnot, I had talked to you guys about well, what if they did a Marvel what if they did Spider-Verse in a what if episode instead? If, if let's say, heaven forbid, Spider-Man 3 is not the live-action Spider-Verse mm-hmm. because they were saying that they're going to be doing Spider-Man-themed episodes in what if, which is awesome. I really love hearing that. And somebody in that episode, i.e. me, made the comment, well, Paul Souls is still around and we can be able to, you know, get him. Get him while you can. Narrator. Well, guess what happened? Mm. At 11 o'clock, I posted this this episode, I believe, on Patreon, and then it went to the live main feed that Friday or Saturday, whichever one. But all I know is that when the episode went live, Paul was not. So, Paul had passed away at the ripe age of... 90, on uh, May 26th in Toronto, Canada. And Paul was a very iconic voice in the world of Marvel. He wasn't just Spider-Man, he was also the Incredible Hulk. And it's kind of funny. He never made any cameos in any of the Spider-Man movies. However, he did make appearances in... I be, didn't he show up in uh, Hulk? I have, yeah. yes, the 2008 Hulk. And 2000, yeah, did he show he, up in 2003? He, uh, he was the guy that owned the, 
pizza was shop. That a pizza, yeah, pizza parlor? Stanley the pizza shop owner. I meant to look yeah. at look at that myself, but I I will. And he definitely left behind a great body of work, but what we're going to be touching on today is his Marvel work, specifically his run on Spider-Man. And we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the show, as well as just overall, you know, the series, first off, going over to the IMDb trivia, the series did not feature Flash Thompson or Liz Allen. Instead, two new characters were created, Roy Robinson and Susan Shaw. Robinson was just a jock and not a complete jock jerk like Thompson, and he had a rich industrialist father, similar to Harry Osborn in the comics, whose father... This is a long sentence. They really need editing. (laughs) Uh, Whose father was Oscorp founder Norman Osborn. Susan Shaw seemed to be an amalgam of Liz Allen, Gwen Stacy, and Mary Jane Watson. Susan was Peter's most consistent love interest in the series and continued to make appearances in season two and three, even though her appearance changed from episode to episode. And like I said, this series lasted from 1967 all the way to 1970. Yeah, it looks like on the DVD set, 77 episodes. Um, I do, yes, recall seeing, because I wound up doing what I have not yet ever done before, and that is I binged these these discs, uh, you know, trying to multitask as well. And, uh, wow, a lot of stuff going on in there. And, you know, a lot of, for what it was during its time, you know, a lot of limitations. So, yeah, we'll nitpick and point things out and so on, but we, of course, overridingly recognizing the work of Paul Soltz, who we did actually meet. You met. I didn't. You didn't get to meet him? Oh, no. geez. This was uh, summer of 2018. That was a busy month because first it was uh, Eternal Con in Long Island where we met and got some uh, audio and pictures with uh, Lou Ferrigno, and also I got to meet and talk a little bit to uh, Paul Soltz. I got an autograph on the liner notes to the Spider-Man 67 series. Not that I could find it right now, for the purpose of recording this, but like I said, I binged, and I think he wasn't doing interviews. His son, I was speaking to about that kind of stuff. I just wanted to do a do a. Could you just get him to do a wallop and web snappers one time? But it, it didn't happen. I remember I remember trying, making the attempt, but I don't recall in the information that I found that he you said was also the voice of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, in the in that. Uh, animated series too he was that you're saying he was in that series i believe he played the uh hulk in the marvel superheroes show okay that would mm-hmm. do it then yeah yeah and there's you know very much a uh one of the things about his voice of spider-man it does not fit the look i don't know it's it seems very odd yet you know he's trying to be like this kind of a character like, he's literally trying to be the muscle-strong man of, like, the 1930s, 1940s-ish kind of thing, you know? And Well, this was new ground, I think, when what they were doing yeah. with the show. And, they, you know, he pitched his voice differently to be more um, high-pitched as Peter Parker, but then when he was in the Spider-Man costume, he, you know, had a bigger sounding voice and came across differently. So, and that's where being a voice talent and having done a lot of stuff, you know, this came into play, and I think that's why he was able to do it for so long. What I think we didn't mention is that, and I had to think about this too without actually playing it back, was from the 1964 Rankin-Bass Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that Paul Souls was the voice of Hermie the Misfit. Right. I want to be mm-hmm. a dentist, you know. And I thought, and I'm listening to it in my head. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I can see that, hear that, work. And one of the things about this, you know, speaking of so long, this series has been so long out of print. It's no longer available, on, you know, on DVD. You're, if you're able to get it in its original print form, you're lucky because this series, according to Amazon, let's see real quick. Yeah, because this was a gift from my wife. Thank you again. From uh, 2004. 
four, I believe. Yeah, so this came out around the same time of Spider-Man 2 to capitalize on it. If you want to buy a brand new sealed copy of this, you can pay the low, low price of $279.99 plus $5.49 shipping. Oh. What a bargain. What a deal. But it is readily available on eBay, on certain websites, through bootleg format. So you can get it for an affordable price. You just have to deal with really shitty packaging. You just have to deal with, you know, maybe unlabeled discs, like with, you know, sprawled with marker. Oof. But that's the magic of buying bootlegs, which we totally don't endorse and totally don't utilize ourselves. But it exists, and we know it, and yeah, okay. But in regards to that, like I said, it's very hard to find. It's not on Disney+, Plus, and a lot of people out there are going, why isn't it on Disney+, Plus? why isn't it on Disney+, Plus?" well, when I was given the assignment by Eddie to watch one of these episodes for this episode, he had told me to watch the episode To Catch a Spider. Well, I went wherever I could find it, so I turned to the magical YouTube machine. And when I went to the magical YouTube machine, I found an episode called To Catch a Spider. But when I watched it, the title card To KJ Spider came up. So it turns out there's two different episodes. Yeah. I watched the wrong one, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to mostly be silent in this episode. Lucky you. But in regards to that, there are certain things about this, that episode at least, that I watched. And I'm just thinking to myself, I know why it's not on Disney+. Plus. This show kind of sucks. So technical limitations for its time which is fine you know product of its time that's it and that's the funny thing because going through all these episodes and titles and seeing yes to catch a spider was one to cage a spider was definitely another so but the bonus here i guess is that trey has watched both he watched one in another language i believe yes i i watched the the one that eddie told us to watch to catch a spider i watched that one in hindi because that was the only version of it i could find in hindi Yes, I, I read I read the synopsis beforehand, and then I watched it. I was able to get most of it, what was going on, but I could not understand a word outside of Spider-Man. But at least the synopsis you could read in English. Yes, the synopsis okay. wasn't English. Because you're on your way to being bilingual then, otherwise. <laughs> yeah, well, Not a bad thing, but... My French teacher was there with French? Oui, okay. And it's funny because this series... You know, because I'm going to pull up some stuff from the Wiki, Wikipedia article, so hopefully in the time that I'm reading this, no one uh, vandalizes it and puts in, like, random parts about boobies and stuff. But the production of Spider-Man the or Spider-Man 67, budget. Because of the show's limited budget, Spider-Man's costume only has webbed areas on his head, arms, and boots. The rest is plain, except for the spiders on his chest and back. The series relies on, relied on reused stock animation, including Spider-Man swinging, swinging across the New York City skyline, and Peter stripping off his white dress shirt to reveal his spider suit. Character movement was also minimalized. And then the second and third seasons were produced on a reduced budget by Krantz Films under Ralph Bakshi, responsible for the adaptation of Fritz the Cat. The cost-cutting is most apparent in the third season, with two episodes reusing almost all the footage from two Rocket Robin Hood episodes, notably the season three Rocket Robin Hood episode Dementia 5, and remaking previous episodes with minimal changes. So I'm guessing the to catch a spider and to cage a spider might have had elements of the same thing in it, especially reusing, you know, words from a title. That's definitely the definition of cost-cutting. That one definitely the most similar in in title, and I don't recall quite as well to cage a spider, but you two, maybe you guys will talk about that one first. Um, 
But I did, yes, of course, see some repetition with that. But in the way they laid it out in the six discs DVDs, um, I think the more recently produced ones or the later produced ones were put in there first. And then somewhere in the middle of the third disc, you get the origin of Spider-Man. And you also get the beginning of more of the sound effect when Spidey would not shoot webs, but when he would be swinging. And sometimes when he would be um, letting go of a web after making an arc of, of a swing, that kind of thing, you got more of those swing effects throughout. And then, like I said, when you get to the middle of disc three and all the way through the end of disc six, it's the original, I think, episodes, the originally original produced ones where the title card comes up of an episode and you see in the background a dark scene of a, of a dock and the water. And I'm like, well, this is definitely, I thought, the earlier episodes that were put in and so i don't know what the rationale was for putting how you assembled all these discs together was it timing i don't know how much can we fit Crazy on the disc well you look at a lot of you know the disney things with episodes in regards to different shows recently they just took down spider-man 1994 off of the series off of disney plus only to re-upload it a few days later people were thinking oh it's because you know i guess they're editing something out you know no, that was not the case. They re-uploaded the entire series because they were in wrong production order. So, like, certain, mm -hmm. like, the uh, Venom episodes, I believe, were in the wrong order. Like, it would say, they would have, like, a random episode in the middle of the Venom saga, which was, like, Venom Part 1, Venom Part 2. Random episode. Venom Part 3. Venom Part 4. The and other... Going. Well, unfortunately, that was common, you know, years ago. I, I can think of quite a few shows that I have on DVD that have done that uh, because they were produced sometimes at different times and they, they were, scripts were given to different teams and, and and whatever got done first, that's what they showed first and then when they were assembling them on DVDs uh, they had them labeled wrong and it, it's a lot of shows from back in the day have, have, have that issue. Well, the X-Men animated series on DVD when they released them yeah. in 2009, they're in completely wrong order for the most part. Yeah, yeah I have those too. And it's it's funny because you know Eddie, you had mentioned earlier swinging. I we'd we'd all be remiss if we don't talk about the Spider-Man theme song, which was certainly a swinging bop. Yeah, <laughs> so much a product of its times. And real quick before I go into that, yes, some repetition in at least three episodes that you had seen otherwise. I think well, of course, me watching it in the order that the discs were laid out. The Rhino episode was later done as the the golden rhino the title of the episode where he's uh, stealing gold from a train from a submarine and just trying to make his own statue of gold and so he could you know just worship himself i guess and be you know all, all about him and and that so some repetition going on there and like i said different amount of episodes on each disc you got and i'll just tell you 14 on the first disc then 18 12 9 14 and 10 and the later ones or the more recent ones I think we're a little more compact, a little shorter, 10, 15 minutes, and the initial ones were at least 20 minutes or so, could be a little longer. So I guess they were working things out and, and little other things that, of course, were just uh, present in the discs themselves, um, kind of like finding that the uh, Daily Bugle had a Daily Bugle plane in one episode. Uh, Spider-Man talks about his spider hearing in one episode and 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 calling characters you know like vulture man eventually just take dropping the man off of it and little little idiosyncrasies like that the episode with mysterio which was a repeat also and the flying dutchman 
which was a boat, essentially, just projected as if it was actually a ghost-like thing. And I said, wait a minute, The Flying Dutchman, Tobey Maguire, first Spider-Man movie, wasn't that used by, what's his face, on the, uh, the uh, yeah, okay, totally blanking out now, the ringside announcer who became... Bruce Campbell. Yeah, thank you, Bruce Campbell. That used in there, and that was one of um, Peter's uh, first character names when he went into the ring, that kind of thing. So, the theme song. <laughs> no? <laughs> I let Eddie get all of that out. <laughs> okay, so while I regain my breath. The theme song. Mm-hmm. By far, one of the most iconic theme songs, not just in Marvel, but in pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the Spider-Man theme song. Let's be completely honest. It is ingrained in pop culture and is one of the most, again, influential theme songs to the point where it's been parodied in so many different formats. It's been homaged in so many different formats. In the 2007 Simpsons movie titled The Simpsons Movie, I'm glad they went with that creativity, but in that movie, uh, Homer adopts a pig and calls him, you know, basing it on things that are similarly coming out at the same time. They're kind of doing, like, epic movie and that, those garbage movies where they would reference, you know, a trailer, and then all of a sudden... Just don't even bring those up. I hate those movies with a passion. Like, I'm <laughs> so don't, glad... Just don't even bring those up. I'm so glad that era of filmmaking is over. Really glad about that. Hey, let's watch a movie trailer for the thing that's going to come out concurrently with our thing and reference that and nothing else because we want to be topical. Yeah, good job. But I digress. Uh... In regards to that, Spider-Man 3 was coming out at the same exact time as the Simpsons movie, so they had to be topical, and they ended up bringing up Spider-Ham. So you see a shot of Homer... The Spider-Pig. Yeah, and he takes the pig, he lovingly calls Harry Plopper, puts him on the ceiling yeah. going, Spider-Pig, Spider-Pig, does whatever a spider-pig does. Can he swing from a web? No, he can't. He's a pig. Look out, he is the Spider-Pig. And also on the topic of uh, cinematic endeavors with, you know, music and whatnot, they got Hans Zimmer to do the music for Spider-Pig. And I keep wanting to call him Spider-Ham, but that's not kosher. That's the wrong character. But the character of Spider-Pig, you know, you have all of that going on and doing that theme song, basing it on that. In 1995, they ended up having the uh, legendary punk band The Ramones, who at that time... They were not really that well-known still. Like, they ended up becoming something after almost all of the band left, if you noticed. The Ramones never played Madison Square Garden, Eddie. Never. Did not know that. Yeah, never played there. When I went to go see the Misfits in 2019, the original lineup with uh, Glenn Danzig, I had a big, stupid smile on my face when in between sets of all the bands I'm hearing the Ramones play, I'm like, they finally made it to the Garden. (laughs) So... Yeah, overall, uh, with that, they got the Ramones to cover the Spider-Man 67 theme song for this big CD called, uh, I think, it was uh, Saturday Morning Cartoons. And that was actually, first off, my first exposure to this theme song as well as the Ramones. So this is 1995. Cartoon Network ended up airing this big uh, animation special with all of these different bands from the 1990s covering all of these different theme songs. Like there was, I, I think there was an HR Puffin stuff uh, re-recording by like some '90s alt band. Jeez, okay. Actually, kind of sounds to me it might have even been a female band. I'm a, mm, I don't know. Well, point. Just, just a guess. 
Saturday Morning Cartoons Greatest Hits. And I, I'm going to give you the uh, track listing real quick. The Tra-La-La song from the Banana Splits, yep. covered by Liz Fair with Material Issue. Go Speed Racer Go, covered by Sponge. Sugar Sugar from the Archies by Mary Lou, Sor- uh, Mary Lou Lord with Semisonic. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, covered by Matthew Sweet. Josie and the Pussycats, covered by Juliana Hatfield and uh, Tanya Donnelly. Mm-hmm. The Boogaloos, from the Boogaloos, or Bugaloos, covered by Collective Soul. Underdog, covered by Butthole Surfers. Gigantor, covered by Helmet. Spider-Man, covered by Ramones. Johnny Quest, slash Stop That Pigeon from Dastardly and Muttley in their <laughs> Flying Machines, covered by the Reverend Horton Heat. Uh, Open Up Your Heart and Let Your Love Shine In from the Flintstones, covered by Frente. Eep Op Orc Ah Ah, which means I Love You, from the Jetsons, covered by the Violent Femmes. Fat Albert, covered by Dig. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man by Face to Face. Friends slash Sigmund and the Sea Monsters by Trippin' Daisies. Ghouly Get Together by Toadies. There's a lot of songs on this album, by the yeah. way. I did not expect this many. Uh, Hong Kong Fooey, covered by Sublime. I really got to hear that one. H.R. Puffin Stuff, covered by The Murmurs, and Happy Happy Joy Joy, covered by Wax. So, like I said, that was my introduction to that theme song. Because when I was growing up as a kid, Spider-Man 94 was my Spider-Man. Yes. And then I'm hearing the Spider-Man, Spider-Man, what the hell is the Spider-Man? And But your first hearing of that was? A Ramones cover. Not in no. the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. No. With that... Um, the Aerosmith cover? No, no, no. The the uh, the female the Asian the character singing in the street for money or something like that with her violin or like that. And no. she's okay. The Ramones was my introduction to yeah. the Spider-Man theme song, and it's really funny because, like I said, you uh, just mentioned in regards to that. According to Wikipedia, the 2002 and 2004 film versions included Jace Bartok and Elise Din, respectively, busking the song. Both films have sung have the song at the end of the credits, including the 2002 adaptation featuring the original 1967 recording and 2004's Michael Bublé version, where it turns out he's not coming out for Christmas. 2007 Spider-Man 3 features a performance of the song by a marching band at a public rally. Mm. 2014's Amazing Spider-Man 2 features a version of his theme as a ringtone. Yep. And the one that got me going, got me with the goosies as I'm sitting in the theater, the opening title of Spider-Man Homecoming with the big orchestral version. Okay. Got me really excited, and it got me really hopeful that when the X-Men show up on the big screen finally, we can hear a cinematic version of... (laughs) 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 It will happen. I guarantee that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the theme song of the uh, Spider-Man is iconic. You know, it's very much... That's a product of its time and place. But yet it's somehow managed to find a way to be both corny and timeless yeah that's where it started you know one thing that was a trademark of i think almost not all almost all the episodes in this was him leaving a note this package of criminals captured by your friendly neighborhood spider-man you know are you talking about jay jonah jameson it's part of it yeah he truly is his own worst enemy yes (laughs) yes exactly so you got that and i didn't realize the reason why the costume Spider-Man's costume had no chest webbing on it. It was a financial restriction of some kind. Like, but but we had no problem in an episode with the, the Vulture Man of him demanding the Vulture two million dollars in two one million dollar bills, and there they were in that episode. Holy cow! My first exposure to that denomination in two single 
pieces of U.S. currency, yes. It's just, it's very funny seeing all these different versions of Marvel characters in this early time frame. You know, you have at the yeah. same time the uh, Marvel superhero show by uh, that company. You have the yeah. Warner or the <laughs> Hanna Barbera Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. which was my introduction to the Fantastic Four growing up. Right. You know, when I would see the uh, Cartoon Network reruns in ninety four, ninety five. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And that's where you had Herbie, the robot, the robot, nope, wrong one. No. Yeah, that's a completely different series. Oh, good God! See, see what I didn't miss, didn't catch uh, either version of the uh, cartoon versions. But the ninety, you know, the uh, I think it's Fantastic Four sixty six, I want to call it. Mm-hmm. But it's that era, and it's again, this was the exact same kind of thing. It was much easier for them to wrangle all the the television rights back together versus the film where Stan ran around Hollywood saying, here, True Believer, take this. Oh, Excelsior and shit. <laughs> Eddie, did you watch that video I sent you, by the way, Sessions with Stan? No, no, I did not. Oh, it's pretty great. He drops the F-bomb many times. Oh, yeah, I would have remembered then for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, during the course of yeah, this... Yeah, I think I've seen that, yeah. It's a great video. But yeah. Were there two versions? You sent it twice. I didn't know if yeah, you were... Yeah, ju- just go to the YouTube link because the other one was just oh, okay, the Reddit one okay. and that'd be a pain in the ass. Right, right. Well, you know, eventually things that we have come to know in the comic books, if nothing else, like, for example, his uh, Spider-Man Spider Tracer, he starts off by calling a homing device, a transmitter, and it's, you know, it's clunky to start with and eventually finds its place in, in the vernacular of Spider-Man that we know. We're introduced to different characters. Some are specific to the DVD, like uh, Parafino, with the, the wax that he could make different uh, statues of people. But... One that I thought of when I saw this episode, Blueprint for Crime, had a character only known as Boss, and then there was Ox and Cowboy. And they were two early, I think, Spider-Man, bless you, villains that I think were called the Enforcers. And they suck. And uh, I thought there was more than just the two of them. but Yeah, Fancy Dan. Again, oh, yes. They are the corniest group of villains I've ever seen. And when I first read Spider-Man through the Marvel Essentials line, they were the ones I dreaded every single time because I'm just like, oh, this ep- this issue is going to really suck. I can't wait to not read this. <laughs> but it's funny that Spider-Man 67 is such an iconic series regardless of its technical limitations at the time, although Spider-Man 67 did make it into Internet culture. If you go on the World yeah. Wide Interwebs from time to time, you will see a plethora of... Spider-Man 67 related memes to the point where one of the memes ended up getting lampooned to the point that it was featured in 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, we have not forgotten that movie. We will be doing a retrospective episode on it because, let me tell you, that is still my favorite Marvel movie ever made. And that's saying something. Mm -hmm. But the ending of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the post-credit sequence involving the double identity Spider-Man scene with Miguel O'Hara as Spider-Man 2099 going up against 67 Spider-Man, who, by the way, is voiced by one of the guys from the Lonely Island. You know, I'm on a boat, dick in a box, and so forth. So, yeah. But, oof, got me there. Fun fact, by the way, apparently Stan Lee voiced J. Jonah Jameson in that scene as well. I could not tell. Really? Oof, Supposedly. Okay. I gotta go back and watch that again now. Yep, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back. But in regards to the overall cultural impact, like I said, 
I feel like the Spider-Man 67 memes brought that version of the character back to the forefront of pop culture. We're seeing Spider-Man 67 merchandise yet again in stores nowadays. You can get a uh, Funko bag where it's designed to have all of the different frames of the cartoon as a bag. I sent when I went to Toy Fair in 2019 or 2020 before the world shut down, they had bags available on display to check out. And I said, "Eddie, check take a look at this. Like they're selling this now." He's like, "Wow." And that was the end of the text. But yep. Eddie's very verbose in text format. Can you tell? It happens. For a radio man, he's very quiet. Very there quiet. there are times. Uh, I was going to make a different connection, and this is on a family aspect with regards to uh, Paul Souls, that um, they had one son, Jonathan David Souls, and I didn't know maybe how common or not the last name Souls is familiar because I just happened to think like a day ago, Oh, the actress, PJ, PJ Souls, same last spelling, last name spelling. But apparently PJ, meaning Pamela Jane, was uh, born in Frankfurt, Germany. And her dad was from Holland. Her mom was from New Jersey. Different, you know, born in 1950 she was, but uh, different, not related. At least that we know of biologically. Side note, thank you. Now, going back over to the pop culture and merchandising element of uh, Spider-Man 67, they sell a Funko Pop 2-pack of the double identity scene. So you can get a Funko Pop of Spider-Man pointing at another Spider-Man. Cool. It's, it's pretty great. I have the set. and like that, inside, That's actually probably worth the money. It definitely was. <laughs> and, like, it's one of those I, ne- I usually take my Funkos out of the box because I don't give a shit. I really don't care about it being quote-unquote mint in box. I buy action figures. I take them out of the package. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But this is, in fact, the one exception where I will leave it in the box because behind them, Funko is always known for their ability to create like a little background, you know, theme to the character. Like when they had the Fantastic Four Funko Pops, behind each character was the number four and like this big cosmic thing behind them. Well, for this two-pack, they have the brick ha, ha, walls ha, of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This two-pack of Spider-Man, technically the same guy, so you got one for the same price. But it is the brick wall scene from that moment in Spider-Man 67. So you see, I believe, the car behind there as well, all this different stuff, and it recreates that scene for you. That's kind of cool. It is. That it you know, comes out and the strange, maybe coincidental aspect too is the episode double identity comes right after on the DVD to catch a spider. Go figure. And I think if I recall, Charles Cameo was the villain in this particular episode. Wow, played Cameo the, was there? Played, uh, did Cameo yeah, do Candy Girl? Yeah, yeah, Candy Girl, new edition. Oh, right. crap, Something wrong like song. That. Hold on. Oh, no, did Cameo do Word Up? Cameo. Yeah, that's right. Cameo does Word Up. Candy Girl, I'm sorry, uh, Four Seasons, Frankie Valley, and The. But double identity leading to two episodes, to cage a spider and to catch a spider. Do you guys want to talk about the cage version, not Luke? It stinks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... (laughs) yeah, not the greatest episode. Like I said, for all the glowing praise we're giving the show for its pop culture impact, it's, yeah. it's not good. It's, it's the show no no good. It it it, it sucks. <laughs> it like <laughs> I I understand why it's not on Disney Plus, and it is one of those like it's not Star Wars holiday special bad, 
but it's pretty damn bad. Like, this is one of those, like, I think Disney is very apprehensive of uploading it to the format because it's almost like Disney doesn't want to get roped in of, like, well, you guys made this. This is a Disney product. Really? You guys made this? So. So it's not a matter of rights? I, yeah, because Disney owns the rights. You look at the DVD case, it says Buena Vista Entertainment and all that stuff. That's Disney. There you go. So I think it, it is an issue of they are not they're not a fan of it, maybe. Although, maybe the rights did move because the song being incorporated in all the Sony products. It's possible. Hmm. Well, Sony could just write a check and get the rights to the song. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm very curious if it's going to be hitting Disney Plus around the time all the other Sony products are going to be coming. Because as I had said in the previous episode, we're Ooh, getting the, you know, Venom, Morbius, all of those uh, fine, fine films coming to Disney Plus. And yeah, I don't think, I, I do think that it might show up around that time. And again, I think I think it'll show up if if we get any more Spider-Man series to Disney Plus that are of the Sony variety, starting with a uh, 2003's uh, MTV Spider-Man. There's a possibility we might get this alongside those with Spectacular Spider-Man. And yeah, thank you for coming to my TED talk. Could be. Is there uh, is <laughs> there a main antagonist in this episode, the Cage of Spider? Uh, no, lost, it was just a system? bunch of random criminals. Okay, and all of which are finely drawn except for their mouths. <laughs> except for the mouths. <laughs> which which have a very clutch cargo effect. And I think this is the second episode in a row I'm going to bring up clutch cargo, but it's not very much a, it's not a really good animation style to work for this. Like they're they're going very much in the realm of, "Hey, let's make these things look as good as humanly possible," but then have to realize, "Oh yeah, we have to animate this as well." So, it's very much a stilted animation of just the body not moving. But the mouth repeatedly moves, much like my life. But in regards to that, you know, they they do look really good. They're trying to emulate that comic book style, although it's kind of funny. They're in some shots, like when you see that one shot of Spider-Man swinging towards the viewer, mm-hmm. the the head face first, true belief. That one, it has a very Ditko look to the eyes, okay. very thickness to the eyes. Not, yeah, and then other moments. They are straight up trying to replicate the John Romita Sr. animation or, you know, drawing style. Very much like, as they've always said, that version of Spider Man is incredibly handsome. That Peter Parker is very handsome and this and that. Whereas, like, you know, the uh, Steve Ditko Spider Man, Peter Parker is very scrawny, very awkward, a geek, a nerd, a Poindexter. Mm-hmm. He's that. Whereas this Spider Man, this Peter Parker is very much like, hi. And that's the end of that. I'm doing things with my eyebrows. <laughs> the eyebrows the, going up. The yeah, audio exactly. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be hip. Right Swinging. on. Swinging. Digging it. That's exactly right. Because that was all through through the older episodes, too, noticing how the the uh, coloring and the scenes and the skies and space, and it was just so far out, man, and just like, this was the thing. This is the scene. This, this is what it was about. You know, Dementia 5 and... All these other components that were just of of that time, and uh, like, how many episodes can you do where it's all that way? But apparently, all those were that way, and this is what we had. 
and it's funny too because I had mentioned earlier about so I never got to listen to the uh, episodes of the Spider-Man series where he's as Peter Parker. I've only heard him as Spider-Man. And if you remember the beginning of this episode, I went on saying I really didn't care very much for his portrayal of Spider-Man because he sounds way too much like this. I got I got accustomed to it halfway through. So it's one of those like eh, I can I can live with it. Although I like something that they perfectly emulated from the source material. He quips a lot. And they're actually funny for the material that it is. For a children's show, it is funny. Mm-hmm. And it made me like smile. I'm like, wow, they did a pretty damn good job of that. Like in terms of making him into this witty, fun character. I agree. Trey? Yeah, no, I got nothing else to add. I mean, it is. I did find myself so smiling at that a lot when I was uh, watching this uh, what was it, the other day or so. Right. I imagine you laughed a lot at the uh, the Hindi one as well. You know, like just some of the lines that you know, they said in there. <laughs> yeah, like that's hello. A different reason. <laughs> so they tried to imprison him. Is that what the premise was? Part of the. Uh, uh, yeah, it starts off with uh, some guys robbing a bank, and he's chasing them, and he gets knocked out. And then they, he gets arrested because the cops aren't sure if he was in on it or whatever. And then. There's a prison break, and they, they take Captain Stacy uh, hostage, and he has to pick them off one by one while pretending to be working with the guys trying to break out of jail. Gotcha, yeah. You know what? You reminded me, too, when you said getting knocked out. So many times in these episodes, throughout the discs of the episodes and so on, it was so easy to knock out Spider-Man. Like, what happened? You, is your spider sense only working when it's in front of you or something? <laughs> it was just so like, no, that's not, you know, he could... Be distracted by one thing and then boom gets if you saw like a boomerang or a a, a club or a, a pipe wrench coming up when some villain's hand you'd like oh god he's gonna get clocked again spider-man <laughs> you know and it happens it's like what the heck and that happens too with respect to i think him getting gassed by you know some kind of whether it's a pumpkin bomb or other means like that he could get pretty easily disoriented and and the falls that he takes are just just too much. And again, you know, using the same scenes, whether it's falling or jumping, uh, I I remember him landing on his feet, but then like hopping around as if he's on hot coals. But in some cases, he's not. But then it just cuts to another scene and and things like that. And once in a while, landing uh, on a wall or climbing, there's no wall there. It's just emptiness. And whoops, you know. So little technical things going on there. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I've, I've I've noticed some stuff with um, uh, with to catch a spider when I was watching that, even though like didn't understand a word of it outside of Spider Man. Uh, there were some times where, uh, like something was like just off, you know, like the animation was just, just a little bit off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, is there anything else on to cage a spider? Because we'll move into catch a spider now. It stinks. Okay, we got that. Okay, get the clothespin on the nose. But, uh, yeah, to catch a spider. It's a good thing, then, Trey. I brought along some audio clips from that episode. Uh, we'll try okay. to insert them in English. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, well, I, I was able to find the first three minutes from the theme song and the, the the basic setup to the story. I was able to find it in English. Yeah, right. Then, find, after, that, find then after that, I, I, I can only find it in, like I said, in Hindi. So. Yeah, well, yeah, well, so you got the part of finding the guard getting knocked out of the prison 
because yeah. somebody just whacked them on the head that they can't be seen and the keys floating in yeah. midair unlocking the cages yeah. for um... Green Goblin, Electro, and the Vulture. That's who. Don't you read the Daily Bugle, Parker? Well, yes, Mr. Jameson, but I overslept this morning. Yeah, I got yeah. all that, and I got I got to the, I got to the, the part where uh, the three of them were meeting. Um, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Nullabody, Doctor Nullabody. He's a doctor. I got I got the, yeah I, I got I got to the part where, where he turns around, spins around in the chair, and he's like, no, and and uh, they, they they have that initial meeting. Yeah, because the, the chair creaks and stuff, right? And he ain't got nobody, <laughs> nobody. David Lee Roth or Louis Prima, if you really want to go back. Supposed to continue the lyrics, Eddie. Cares for me. Cares for me. Yes. Nobody. The animated Peter Melnick right now. You are so all spared. Everyone. I'm so sad and lonely. Sad and lonely. Sad and lonely. Won't somebody come and see you? Take a chance with me, because I ain't so bad. Uh, yeah. So. This... I like how I was doing jazz hands for it too. You could have appreciated the jazz hands, Eddie. Is that the word I'm supposed to use? Appreciate? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we have Green Goblin, Electro, and the Vulture all together now to get Spider-Man. I am Dr. Nobody, arch enemy of Spider-Man. He defeated me once, just as he did each of you. But where we failed individually, we shall succeed together in destroying Spider-Man. But one by one, they seem to be able to defeat Spider-Man on an initial encounter by themselves. In, in a sense, well, first it's Green Goblin who goes after him, and then uh, Electro and the Vulture one by one, uh, but then it's the ultimatum of meeting at midnight or they'll destroy the city. And so Spider-Man is figuring out as Peter Parker, because in his room, you know, he always has that lab going on. He designed a special uh, web fluid as double insurance and stuff like that. And uh, then they, they do have the meeting and how they're going to all set things up. And uh, he, he counts them down because the four of them are going to have to go down one by one. It's pretty clever how he does that. It turns out to be ventriloquism. Just a funny part, yeah. though, was, uh, you know, after it's just down to the Green Goblin and Dr. Noah Body. Uh, Green, body. Green Goblin tossing the pumpkin bomb down the side of the building and uh, Spider-Man fashioning a baseball bat out of his webbing and then smacking the pumpkin bomb right up to the Green Goblin. What does he say? I have, I have no idea. I, that was not in English for me. <laughs> oh, no! And the other funny line comes up right now. I have the advantage, Spider-Man. I can see you, but you can't see me. Because he's carrying a gun, and you don't see anything else. So, of course, it's like, how is he going to see him? Well, you're carrying a gun, so it's kind of like that's just a funny moment. But entertaining. And one that I had remembered from years ago. How did you? My spider sense. And besides, I took a crash course in ventriloquism. Th those insults, Electro and Vulture. I did a pretty good job, wouldn't you say? So, a lot of kudos to Paul Sulz in Spider-Man and everything else. And uh, RIP, we thank you for all you, you've done. I would say overall, with the gist of what the character is, it's a unique take on what Spider-Man is. You know, you don't you have a very yeah. much a uh, Silver Age quality to it, and you can also tell, other than the actual source material of Spider-Man, this was a big playing factor for Sam Raimi when he was working on the legendary Spider-Man trilogy from 2002 to 2007. And by the way, on the topic of Spider-Man, uh, 
the Raimi versions. I recently came across it. It, it got uploaded uh, not too long ago. I don't know if I mentioned it on the previous episode, but if I did, well... Here we are again. Yeah, here we are. But they uploaded... Somebody uploaded the uh, the Twin Towers trailer of Spider-Man in HD. Like, they had a 35-millimeter print, cleaned it up, did color correction, and it looks good. I'm genuinely surprised on every version of Spider-Man, like, when it comes to home video, they don't inc- uh, include that clip. They don't include that original mm-hmm. teaser trailer where, you know, the, the guy's robbing a bank and they get their helicopter caught in between the Twin Towers Twin with Tower. the webbing. And, you know, I, I get why it's not there, but at this point, don't make it be a form of lost media. Like, I love lost media. I love, you know, the whole idiosync- uh, idiosyncrasies of trying to tr- hunt down lost media, but that's something I want to be able to see in clear HD because it's just cool to see, you know? Yeah. But I also think, like, in a lot of ways, like, I don't want... Like, obviously, it won't be because of how easily and readily available it is to find. Marvel and Disney really should bring Spider-Man 67 back to the forefront. If you're doing a a merchandising bonanza, because that is what they're doing, bring it to Disney+. Plus. Don't be ashamed of what it was, the limited quality. John Q. Public is not going to think, golly gee whiz, Disney does stuff like this too, like terrible looking stuff. You can still have it. There's a lot of really bad Disney stuff out there. So why are you trying to hide this from the going, you know, movie going and film watching public? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like I get why it's not there, but don't be embarrassed of it, you know? Don't don't be afraid of who or wait, what was the line that uh Norman Osborn says, "Don't be ashamed of who you are." You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Yeah, exactly. I get get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, don't be embarrassed of it. This is a major part of the Spider-Man mythos. And I'm actually wondering, I think it is owned by Sony because if they were able to incorporate that scene at the end of Into the Spider-Verse, Sony owns the uh, rights to this series. It's got to be one of those things. I mean, that's possible. I'm looking at this this Krantz film that produced it at the time. I can't see if it played. I don't think it's around anymore. Krantz Films? I've been calling him Crandall. Oh, I'm making an idiot of myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Krantz Films was the animation company that apparently that that, that uh, did the Spider-Man at least for seasons two and three. I'm really kicking but myself. They are, they are they are defunct apparently, but I can't say, I don't, I can't find out who owns them now. I'm really kicking myself that I didn't do the, uh, you know, getting up and actually walking out the door kind of thing because we yeah. could have had that sound effect. You, you did okay. <laughs> You, I tried. You, you got up, the mic went quiet, almost. Well, it's me. Yeah, yes, it is. How dare you, sir. But would I say this is worth watching? If you're a completist, absolutely. But, like, and I would say you should watch it for the ability to see how far along we've come in regards to the character of Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, these humble beginnings. No like, doubt. Mm-hmm. This is very much one of those things where... It's not great. It's not the best thing you'll ever see in your life, but it's it does lead it does lay the building blocks, the foundation of what makes the character of Spider-Man who he is, to the point where this is a version of the character that you know Dan Slott, the Spider-Man writer for a number of years. This was his introduction to the character. This was his love of Spider-Man that led to what he enjoys about the character. He you know he'll bring up this series every once in a while. And, again, it, it's very much a, uh, 
important series if you're a fan of Spider-Man. But I still recommend Spider-Man 1994 way, 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 way more. Oh, absolutely. Trey, final thoughts? Uh, no, I think you pretty much covered everything. Like, like uh, we were talking earlier, um, it is not the greatest show. I mean, there's some things like, uh, like earlier in the, uh, in the to Catch a Spider episode, you know, earlier in the episode, you know, a bullet is able to shoot and, and knock out, you know, a web. And then later on in the episode, a simple web is protecting Spider-Man from bombs. So it's like, you know, get your stuff straight, you know, figure out, you know, how strong is this stuff, you know, make, make it more consistent. And that's always bothered me in cartoons. And I know it's not just this cartoon. Uh, it happened with a lot of cartoons back in the day. But that, that's something that's always bothered me. But it is an important piece of Spider-Man history. Yeah, um, if you, you know I, what? If, um, if you didn't have an uh, interjected scene where Peter is at home working on a fluid, on a formula, uh, that, to me, justifies the change in the, the way the webbing works. I did see throughout the course of the whole set, though, there was maybe, I want to say two, but I think it was more like one time where, uh, fine time to be out of ammunition, you know, he runs out of web fluid. That only came up, like I said, that one time. I thought one different episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I didn't like like Peter. I, I was not introduced to this. I mean, I saw this after, uh, well, obviously years because I was not born when this came out. But um, my my introduction to Spider Man was actually Spider Man and His Amazing Friends. That was the first yep. TV Spider Man that I saw. Outside, because I knew I knew who Spider Man was. I had the I had the, the toys and stuff, like that, and I had a couple of comics when I was very you know real young. But um, mm-hmm. Spider Man and His Amazing Friends was the first one, and then I I do remember watching this on some channel. I don't know. I don't think it was Cartoon. I don't think Cartoon Network was around at the time. But I do remember watching a couple of these older '67 Spider Man uh, sometime, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad that you know. It's, it's still we can still look back on it fondly or not mm-hmm. uh, as an important piece of Spider-Man history. And again, you know, going back over to uh, Spider-Man with sixty-seven with the memes, I literally just pulled up the Spider-Man book meme, which is one of my personal favorites. And the whole meme of Spider-Man sitting there reading a book, and you can Photoshop in what he's reading. And I just showed one to Eddie <laughs> that I knew he would appreciate. Uh, let me find it again. But it's Peter that's reading it, actually, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, okay. Still same thing. Well, there's no mask. Oh, no whoop, costume. whoop dee just, just The book uh, The book ends up saying, the title of the book is uh, What Sweet Dreams Are Made Of, and he opens it up and it says the word this. And then the last <laughs> panel is him by himself saying, who am I to disagree? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yep. You can do anything now, can't you? You really can. Yeah, pretty much. But before we wrap this episode up, first off, Big thank you to everything that Paul Souls had done in the role of Spider-Man, especially just being able to breathe life into a character that, you know, for a certain generation, when they read a Spider-Man comic, he was that voice for them. Think about that. Like, there's somebody reading Spider-Man in, like, 1974 still at that point, and they hear Paul Souls' voice as they're going through the comic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. It's like how, you know, for myself, when I read a uh, X-Men comic, Wolverine is voiced in my head by Cal Dodd. Like, that's, you know, the ultimate spot yeah, for me, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Or how, you know, there's a, an entire generation that reads any Batman comic in the voice of Kevin Conroy. 
Kevin Conroy, yeah. So, Trey, thank you again for joining us on this program to talk about this version of Spider-Man as well as the impact of the late, great Paul Souls. Yeah, thank you for having me. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Trey Stone. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior! <laughs>